0: My name is Keith Beavers, and I think I've watched all of HGTV. Like, all of it. I need something else. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 19 of Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast, season two. My name is Keith Beavers, I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair so chianti guys sangiovese oh my gosh you know it from a movie from like just life from being an american and loving italian wine let's talk about it. this episode of wine 101 is sponsored by broncaia at Brancaia, we perceive the work in the vineyard as a flow of energy that must be respected in the highest degree. Rooted in the bold, super Tuscan movement that forever changed Italy's winemaking culture, the wines of Broncaia blend local grapes with international varieties, bringing a decidedly modern touch to a centuries-old wine region. Today, Broncaia embodies a passion for terroir and dedication to artisan techniques, producing elegant, complex wines with a strong Tuscan identity. Brancaia Winery. Resist the usual. So we did an episode on Tuscany last season, just kind of like get a nice rounded idea about Tuscany. And in that episode, we talked about Sangiovese and we talked about how um, it's, you know, it's different. It It produces different styles of wine depending on where it's growing in Tuscany. It's a very interesting variety. But it's not an interesting variety in that it mutates and it, it, it clones itself and all this stuff. No. What's unique about Sangiovese is that there are really two kinds of Sangiovese. There's Sangiovese Grosso, a big fat grape, and there's Sangiovese Piccolo, a little grape. The majority of the wines that we drink come from Sangiovese Grosso, the big fat grape. But the thing is, Sangiovese Grosso grows throughout Tuscany. But people, imp- people produce wines from that grape. But they call it something different, even just in Tuscany itself. In Montalcino, in Tuscany, they call Sangiovese Grosso Brunello. In the town of Montepulciano, where they make Vino Nobile di Montepulciano, they call Sangiovese Brunello Gentile. And in the Tuscan region of Moralino di Scansano, they call Sangiovese Grosso Morellino. So, it can be confusing. I know I say it a lot in wine. It can be confusing. Why is wine so confusing? Well, the thing is, wine is ancient. Oh my gosh, it's so ancient. <laughs> in so many cultures and so many townships and so many communes throughout Italy, throughout the world, they, over history, all the synonyms for the grapes, it's just insane. And, and the thing is, during feudal systems and sharecropping and all this stuff, there's pride in all these towns. And I, it seems to me that, you know, they name the grape. They could care less whether another town calls it something else. This is what they're going to call it. And that's just kind of how this works throughout the history of, 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 of wine in general. But in Tuscany, it's a little bit crazy because it's just like, you know, from one town to the next, sometimes the variety that's being used is the same variety but has a different name and it can be kind of crazy. And just like other old varieties like Pinot Noir, it's, Sangiovese is thought to be ancient. The first documentation of Sangiovese is from a treatise on the viticultural of, of Tuscany in 1600 by a dude named Giovanni Vittorio Soderini. In it he says, "Il Sangioghetto aspro a mangiare, ma, sugoso e pianissimo divino." which generally means the San Gioghetto, bitter to eat, but juicy and vinous. So this is the first documentation of San Giovese, but it's really the first documentation of the synonym of San Giovese. The story goes that in the region of Emilia-Romagna, which is north and east of Tuscany, there is a town called Rimini. Just outside of that town is a mountain called, mountain called Monte Giove, And in the foothills of that mountain was a, wait for it, monastery. Yep, the monks. And here the monks were making a wine. And the wine they made, they called vino, which basically just means wine in Italian. And when asked what this wine was, they thought for a second and they say sanguis jovis, which means the blood of Jupiter. Sangiovese came from that Eventually, it's thought to be also a reference to the blood of Jove. But that's kind of where that came from. So San Gioghetto is a synonym of how of whatever happened there. <laughs> and San Giovese isn't only important in Tuscany. I mean, this whole story happened in a region just outside of Tuscany. Um, San Giovese is also... It's, just, it's really the workhorse of central Italy in general. In Umbria... It is blended in a DOC or a wine region called Montefalco. It's often blended with a grape called Sagrantino. Very big, powerful variety. It softens it a little bit. In the region of Le Marche, there are two very well-known red wines there. Rosso Piceno and Rosso Conero. And they are also Sangiovese, blending with a grape called Montepulciano. Not the town, the grape. It's also being used more and more in Lazio, which is where Rome is. Roma! And here's a fun little fact. If you guys ever come across Corsican wine, yeah, we should sometime do an episode on Corsican wine. It's pretty cool. They, do, they make wine from Sangiovese there, but there they call it Nucello. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's good. It's awesome. They actually do great rosés with it too. Now, every town, every region that produces wine from Sangiovese, it's awesome. Everyone has their own unique spin on this variety. It's, 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 it's beautiful. And that's all in the Tuscan episode. But what you and I know more than any other wine made from Sangiovese in Italy is Chianti. I mean, this wine has had a presence in our culture for a long time. Um, I remember as a kid, like in the early 80s, like a kid, going to this Italian restaurant with my parents. They loved it so much. It was called Mom and Pop. And they had basket wine bottles. They're called Fiaschi. They're Chianti bottles with, ba- you know, with the baskets on them. And that was the candle holder, obviously, right? That's what happened. But even as, as far back as the 70s, it made it into film. You have Shaft, amazing film, when Shaft goes, goes in to talk to the, the local uh, Italian crime boss, the dude is sitting there sipping on a nice Chianti. I mean, it was a basket wine, but in the 70s, it was considered, you know, good stuff. And of course, we had to get this out of the way. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Creepy murder doctor, Hannibal Lecter, Sons of the Lambs, Yeah. And I don't know where you are in age or pop culture, <laughs> but that scene is one of the most famous scenes from the movie and one of the, mo- one of the most famous scenes in film history. And what's really interesting is, in the book, he has this fava beans with the liver with an Amarone, which is actually a red wine from the northern part of Italy. But because Chianti was so um, ingrained in our minds... The the people writing the script decided to put Chianti in there instead of Amarone, so we would be familiar with it. And sure enough, that line is basically, you know, it's timeless, it's canon. What's up? And even though we in the United States have have had sort of an intimate relationship with Chianti for such a long time, it still confuses us. It's confusing because guys, Chianti's complicated. Like it's really complicated. If I had an entire episode to tell you the history of this place, it would blow your mind. The city of Florence, which is very close to the Chianti wine region, which we're going to get into in a second. You know, I think between the 14th and the 16th century was the center of the world. This is where the birth of the Renaissance happened. Some of the most famous glassmakers in the world were in Florence. The stories and the history and the documentation is, 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 is pretty immense. I mean, just the story of Florence and the history of Florence and its rival city just to the south, Siena, it has to do, I mean, it, 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 it includes Chianti and the wines from this region. But these are awesome stories for another time. We're here to talk about wine. Let's get deep in the hills of Chianti and understand this place. In the center part of Tuscany, there is a major town called Florence, which you guys all know. And then south of that town or city is a city called Siena. Between the town of Florence and the town of Siena are these mountainous hills. They're called the Chianti or the Chianti Hills or the Chianti Mountains. And it's thought that viticulture goes all the way back to the Etruscans, which is that that's before the Greeks. Actually the Greeks came to Italy, this is a little fun little fact, and they saw the Etruscans and they kind of the Etruscans kind of freaked out the Greeks because of their hedonism. It's kind of wild. Okay, well, let's get that. I just want to tell you about that. And I mentioned the Etruscans because I've always been so fascinated with the word Chianti in that I don't know what it means, and it's very hard to figure out what it means. But the only thing I could really find is that the Etruscans named this area, they are thought to name this area, Clante, C-L-A-N-T-E. And I don't know what that means, but Clante... Chianti, it kind of, you know, makes sense. I mean, if anybody knows any Italian etymologists that can help me out with that, that'd be awesome. But the word Chianti is first, it shows up in documents in the late 1300s and that kind of, that seals the deal of the Chianti. Well, the name at least, because this document doesn't name wine so much. It just calls this area the Chianti Hills. By the 18th century, this area was known For wine. And there are three townships in the Chianti Hills Castellina, Rada, and Gaiole. And at this time, Chianti was applied to these three townships. And also, what's interesting is these three townships are under the jurisdiction of Florence, and they formed what was called the League of Chianti, which was a guard against the town or city of Siena at the time. There was a rivalry. And a pretty storied rivalry at that. But if you'll remember in the Portugal episode, we talked about the Douro Valley and how it was one of the first attempts at demarcating or creating some sort of controlled appellation because of the popularity of the wine to combat fraud and to maintain authenticity of the wines coming out of that region because of all the money that was being made there. This is this same thing happened in 1716 in the Chianti Hills. The three, the three in, in, initial townships, Rada, Castellina, and Gaiole, were demarcated as Chianti, the wine growing and wine making region, by Cosimo III, Grand Duke of Tuscany. So, in these hills, with high ish elevation in this very well known famous soil called Galestro, with some limestone and clay. There's a short list of native varieties that are being used to make wine around this time. Most of them red, some of them white, often blended together. For red, you had Sangiovese, which we all know. There was a grape called Ciliegiolo, which is actually related to Sangiovese. A grape called Mamolo, and a grape called Canaiolo. Those are the red wine grapes. For white wine, there's a grape called Trebbiano, which is all over central Italy, and a grape called Malvasia, which we've mentioned before in other previous episodes. And there wasn't a rhyme or reason, there weren't any rules or regulations, but towards the late, toward the end of the 19th century, there was this dude named Baron Bettino Ricasoli. In 1872, he writes a letter saying that he has synthesized 10 years of experimentation. And what he's found is that the Sangiovese grape is the best grape to use as the base of the Chianti blend. For aging wines, he found that Sangiovese's aroma profile and its vigorous acidity blended with a little bit of Canaiolo was the best way to make sort of age-worthy Chianti. For younger wines, he kept that little formula going, but he's like, you know what? Add a little bit of Malvasia, Add a little bit of white wine. It really is nice. This formula or this idea caught on, and basically this guy and their family still makes wine to this day is the inventor of modern Chianti. And from the 18th century to the 1930s, this is what Chianti was. Three townships basically carrying the Chianti name, but it's spreading out even more. More and more people starting to adhere to this new Chianti formula. The identity of Chianti was kind of coming into itself. By the 1930s, this wine was becoming very popular. So the Italian government decided they were going to extend the Chianti zone. They're going to name different subzones to kind of capitalize on what was happening here. And to the dismay of the original townships, the government extended these subzones to basically surround the original area. And to this day, there are seven of them. And there's a prefix. Is it a prefix? Chianti has the prefix and then the geographical location after that. I'm going to, not gonna get into all of them, but I'm just gonna name them right now so you kinda of get a sense of them. So just imagine Chianti is before all these, like Chianti, eh. <laughs> Colli Fiorentini, Ruffina, Montalbano, Colli Sinesi, Colli Arentini, Colline Pisane, Monte Spertoli. And you'll often see it on the wine label. It'll say Chianti in big letters, underneath it, it'll have the geographical location. This extends the Chianti zone to about 40,000 acres, give or take. It's a very large area. So in the 1960s, when Italy is creating their own appellation, controlled appellation system that is based off the French appellation system, they go to Chianti and they they see how popular the Ricasoli formula is. And then when, so when they give Chianti its DOC, that is the blend that becomes the regulation for Chianti, Sangiovese, Canaiolo, Malvasia. They also add other varieties in there, Mammolo, Cigliaggolo as well, and also Trebbiano. But with such a large area, and with some economic troubles in the region, the, the trend of Chianti wines went towards quantity, not quality. Of course, there was quality being made during these times. But until like the early 1980s, it got pretty bad as far as people kind of taking advantage of a good thing. The famous fiasco basket wine we see in Shaft is eventually seen as just not very good wine. It was very thin. There was a lot of white wine in it. And it was giving Chianti a bad rap. I mean, to this day, Chianti basket wine is mainly known as a candle holder. Am I right? And it wasn't only basket wine that was compromised. It was a lot of wine coming into the United States and just being distributed throughout the world that was Chianti, that was just a little bit, just the quality wasn't there. So in 1984, the government's like, okay, 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 okay. We're gonna elevate the Chianti region from a DOC to a DOCG. That way, and and so we're gonna have stricter... Rules put in place. So now we're restricting the amount of white wine you can use, and they're doing all these things to make sure the quality of Sangiovese was sound. And I gotta say, they made some good decisions, and from 1984 on, Chianti really begins to improve. But we have to think of what about that original township area? Remember, I said to the dismay of that area, all these other little sub zones were created? Well, they're still pretty mad. <laughs> or should I say the quality-minded winemakers in the area. This initiated what was called the Chianti Classico 2000 project, which was a project of studying the soils and just all the things in that center heartland, that area that started it all. And in 1996, that area of Chianti became Chianti Classico, its own DOCG, its own autonomous wine growing region not a subregion of Chianti. For the longest time, it was just a subzone. It was called Chianti Classico as like this is where it all began. It was part of the seven subzones that were created in the 1930s, but it was just kind of considered Chianti Classico. It didn't have really have a geographical name to it. So now Chianti Classico is its own thing. It's made up of about nine communes. I'm not going to list the communes here because it's not that important. I mean, the communes are important, absolutely, but for you as a wine buyer and consumer in the United States, the communes are not something that's going to help you find wine because the Chianti Classico region does not allow for the communes to be put on the label. So you're just going to see Chianti Classico. I'm sure the commune is somewhere in a small print on the back label. Also something to know, Castellina, Rada, and Gaiole. Those townships are absolutely still part of the center of Chianti Classico. So wine-wise, what is Chianti? Chianti is basically two appellations. You have the heartland of it all, where it all began, the Chianti Classico zone. It's its own zone. It has its own rules. They tend to be a little more um, strict than the larger Chianti area. Then you have the larger Chianti DOCG, that Chianti has seven sub zones that have actual geographical names attached to the Chianti word. Outside of that area is just Chianti proper. If you see a wine that says just Chianti on it, it's coming from anywhere outside of these zones, but it's still in Chianti. And whether you're in Chianti proper, geographical Chianti, or Chianti Classico, Sangiovese is the primary variety used in the blends. And for a long time, there was a trend to you know, international varieties, which is basically French varieties, Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, they have always been allowed in the Chianti region. Um, and for a long time, they were being used pretty, not heavily, but used to sort of attract the American palate. And also, in addition to that, using significant oak exposure to get that sort of vanilla spice thing going. But we're starting that trend is starting to kind of dip a little bit. We're, going to, we're starting to see more and more older varieties being used in the blend and less Merlot, less Cabernet Sauvignon, even though are in smaller amounts. And we're starting to see wines with less oak influence coming out of Chianti. And that's really where Chianti began. Chianti is the wines of Chianti are red with a sort of a medium-bodied perception. They're tangy with great acidity. And that's what San Gervais wants to give you. Then you put a little canaiolo in there, a little Mammolo in there. It gets a little bit earthy. It makes for an amazing food wine. Literally like a steak Florentine, forget about it. With a Chianti, just forget about it. In Chianti proper, they still blend a little bit of white wine into their wine sometime. I mean, it's, it's winemaker to winemaker, you know, whatever they want to do. But you, don't do, you, you won't see white wine being blended into Chianti Classico anymore. They outlawed that stuff. And even though there's so much more to talk about, diving into the Classico communes, diving into the geographical areas, getting a little more history going, getting a little more context of things, but this is just your roundabout 101 Chianti. So you get a good sense of what you're drinking, what you're looking at, and not feeling too overwhelmed because, man... Chianti's yeah, complicated, guys. Vine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout-out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating vine pair and i mean big shout out to danielle Grinberg, the art director of vine pair for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast also darby seaside for the theme song listen to this and i want to thank the entire vine pair staff for helping me learn something new every day see you next week this episode of wine 101 is sponsored by bronchiato At Brancaia, we perceive the work in the vineyard as a flow of energy that must be respected in the highest degree. Rooted in the bold, super Tuscan movement that forever changed Italy's winemaking culture, the wines of Brancaia blend local grapes with international varieties, bringing a decidedly modern touch to a centuries-old winery. Today, Brancaia embodies a passion for terroir and dedication to artisan techniques, producing elegant, complex wines with a strong Tuscan identity. Brancaia Winery is this the usual